author Paul Leslie Hour, helping people tell their stories. And now, your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. How are you, friends? We're joined by a very special guest who has written some of the top songs in country music. It's a pleasure and honor to welcome this award-winning hit songwriter, a performing and recording artist as well, Mr. Wynn Varble. It's an honor to have you on the show. Well, it's an honor to be on here, Paul. Excuse me, I just ate a biscuit, so I might have a little bit hung up in my crawl there. (laughs) (laughs) Now, it's been said about you that you were destined for country music. Um, well, you know, I, I always loved it. Um, well, I was, you know, of course, grew up in the 60s, and uh, rock and roll sounded scary to me. I had, <laughs> I had them kind of real minor melodies back, you know, and uh, I just kind of like, I just like country music. It just, just appealed to me, so I reckon that's the way I lean. If you had to put it in in words... What is it you like about country music? Well, you know, I, I like the uh, I like the the simpleness of it. I like the uh, I like the simple melodies. Uh, I like the uh, heartfelt lyrics. I like uh, I never was much of a you know cheating song kind of guy, which that was pretty prevalent back in the seventies and sixties. But I I did like the I think there's a lot of positive messages in country music, and um, I don't know what I don't know exactly what it is, but I do love it. Well, tell us a little bit about what life was like growing up. My dad uh, had tons of old Hank Williams, Jimmy Rogers, and he loved country music too. He couldn't play a radio, but he he loved it, and. Um, he would, uh, of course, some of my brothers and uh, sisters, they they all liked the rock and roll stuff, but I just kind of like stuck to my guns on the country stuff. And they, uh, matter of fact, I traded a, uh, my brother had a Grand Funk Railroad record that I traded for my buddy's dad's Big Bad John album, Jimmy Dean, and we both got whooped over that. You know? <laughs> so, uh, but anyway, um, yeah, it was just, uh, I, I started playing guitar. I started playing banjo first. Uh, I, I really liked bluegrass too. And, um, but I, I never could kind of get the, get the hang of it. I took a few lessons. My mom t- took me, uh, for lessons. And, um, after my mom passed away when I was 14, I was about 15. I got a guitar and, there was an old guy down the road that my dad used to hang out with on Saturday night. They played a little guitar and sang, and they'd get into whiskey a little bit, and I'd tag along, and he'd show me a few chords, and and um, that's kind of how I got going. And um, I saw a uh, early Austin City Limits episode where they had Whitey Schaefer and Willie Nelson and Hank Cochran and Floyd Tillman, a bunch of songwriters on there, kind of having a guitar pull. They just passing the guitar around and playing songs they'd written, you know, big hit songs they'd written for people. And they were having a whale of a time. So I just thought, man, that's what I want to do right there. So I kind of set my sights on that, you know. Who would you say your influences are? 
Um, man, there are so many. I don't know. Uh, Merle Haggard, definitely. Roger Miller, Tom T. Hall, for sure. I mean, I love George Jones, but Haggard was Haggard was probably my favorite guy. Golly, and you know, all the bluegrass stuff. I love the old country stuff, like you know, um, all that Merle Travis, you know, Ernest Tubb, and all that stuff. Uh, there wasn't a whole lot of it I didn't like, but uh, there was a few I didn't care for. But but most of the uh, influences were uh you know the, and then you know i mean there come john anderson and some other people later on that i just really like too so i just uh i just kind of i guess soaked it all up and whatever come out come out you know would you say that you're more moved by melodies or lyrics um Myself, I'm I'm more moved by lyrics because uh, I mean I love great melodies too. But when you can meld a great lyric with a great melody, there's no doubt. I mean that's when you got that's when you got something. But yeah, I'm more of a lyrical. I'm more moved lyric by lyrics because I've just I mean if somebody I've heard heard so many songs and written so many songs, have so many friends that have written great songs and. To hear something, you know, new and fresh, and because everything's been wrote, you know. I mean, I mean, golly, everything had been written in the fifties. We're still rewriting all that stuff now. So, to, when you come up with something that nobody said before, that's really special, you know. Especially if it's something good, you know. So, uh, something great. They, uh, I think that those songs are are still coming out. They're very few and far between, but I mean, like I said, everything's been written, you know. We're joined by singer and songwriter, Wynn Varble. Can you tell us about the first time you ever went to Nashville? The first time I ever went to Nashville. Well, um, I was in Austin, Texas, and, uh, I was broke, and I needed to, trying to, I'd went to Austin to go to Willie's house, try to play him some of my songs, I was just a kid, I sold my truck and got on the Greyhound bus and went to Nashville, and um, I had kin folks in Nashville, but I didn't want to bother them with all my worries, and I um, got a hotel room downtown, and this piece of crap hotel called the Bell Hotel, which is long gone now. And I think I paid $14 a night or something. And um, it was uh, it was kind of a bomb hangout, you know. But anyway, I, I didn't know anything about the business. I just uh, grow, found some publishers and played some songs. Tried to play some songs for them, and they wanted me to drop off a demo tape, and I didn't even know what that was. And, um, finally, uh, called one of my cousins up here and he, he was a roofer, went to work for him for a couple of months and, uh, met a guy named Dave Gibson. He was, he had just moved to town too. And, uh, so we, that's the first time I ever co-wrote a song was with Dave. We, um, 
we got to writing some songs together and um, became great friends and still are to this day. I left that fall, that, that next winter, actually. A uh, buddy of mine was uh, on his horse show circuit down in Florida, and I had he offered me uh, 100 bucks a day down there. So I had Dave to give me a ride down the interstate, and I stuck my thumb out, and I went to Florida. South Florida and um, stayed down there for a few months and then um, ended up kind of playing clubs. I ended up staying down in South Florida for a long time. I got married over in England. I met a girl down there from England, went over there and got married. I think we just liked the way each other talked because <laughs> uh, it didn't last very long. But uh ended up down in Florida playing music. I actually moved to Nashville from near West Palm Beach, Florida. Play had a house gig down there for about seven years and the place called the Hitching Post Saloon and uh, kinda cut my teeth in there in that place and uh continued to write songs, you know. So I had I had a little bit of ammo when I came to Nashville in uh nineteen ninety two when I moved up here. It was uh it was totally different. It was ten ten years later since the last time I'd come up here. A lot had changed, a lot was the same. The business had uh, exploded, you know, in the late 80s, early 90s. When Alan Jackson and Garth and all them guys came along, there was there was big money up here. And so I just dug my heels in and went to writing songs, and knocking on doors, and beating the bushes, you know, and, I was here about a year, finally landed me a writing deal with uh, Starstruck, which was Reba McIntyre's company. And uh, and they said it was about a five-year town then. And I thought, well, it ain't going to take me five years, but it was almost five years to the day, to the month, almost, when I heard my first song on the radio. So, And what song was that? It was a song called Fit to Be Tied Down by Sammy Kershaw. And uh, there's no feeling like the first time you hear one of your songs on the radio. It's, it's pretty special. Now, did you know that they were going to play it, or was it just? Your... It was out. He had he had recorded. Excuse me. He had recorded it for a single, and um, and they they were playing it a lot of places. And uh, Nashville, the Nashville stations were they're always slow to add songs anyway. I was uh I I just kept kept my radio on all the time trying to listen, knowing they'd play it soon, sooner or later. And uh, finally, one day I was back in my boat in the Percy Priest Lake over there, going crappie fishing, and and I had the door open and the radio blaring, and and uh, it came on. And oh man, I was I was some kind of tickled. I I was old boy taking his boat out of the water right next to me and I wanted so bad to tell him that was my song on the radio but <laughs> I knew he didn't care so but yeah that was the first one you know one time I interviewed the woman who wrote the song from a distance oh yeah and she said that one time it was playing on a store or something and she told the clerk hey I wrote that song <laughs> And she said that the clerk just looked at her like bugs were yeah, coming right. out of her nose. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, it, it's it's. I mean, it's still great when you turn on the radio and you hear one of your songs. I mean, it's it never gets old. But that first time is very special, no doubt. Now, during this five years that you're you're doing the work, you have your eye on on what you think is you know is what you want for yourself. Was there ever times where you were really doubting yourself? Um, of course, but I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't going anywhere. You know what I mean, Paul? It was like when I came back in 92, I was here for the duration. And, you know, I mean, this is the thing, especially then about Nashville. Nashville was a cool place to live. And I was, I was right in the middle of it. I was writing for a publisher and I was going, getting to go in the studio with these great musicians and demo songs and, I tell these young people when they come to town, if you, if somebody can put one of your songs on hold or something, you know, I don't know if y'all, you're familiar with that, but it's like where they, so they'll hear the song and say, hey, I want to hold that till I decide whether I want to cut it or not. But I love it. I want to, you know, I want to hold. That's the first step in, usually in getting a song recorded in um, Nashville. But I mean, you can get a song on hold. And the, the hope that comes with that can keep you going for six months, you know. I mean, just, you know, they, it don't take much to, when you're young and, and you know, bright-eyed up here, and you say, they say, well, we played this song for Brooks and Dunn, and they you jump up and down for a week over that, you know. Then they don't end up cutting it, but, you know, by then something else has happened. It just always, it's just, and it's still like that to this day. I mean, it's any day when you're in Nashville in the music business, any day you might get word on somebody loves this song, they're going to cut it. Somebody's already cut this song, it's going to be the next single. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's always, it's never born. It's always, there's always some hope going on. You know, unless you just kind of ain't got nothing going, and then it's, you know, I imagine then it's kind of sucky. But I definitely doubted myself. But I mean, when you first move up here, especially, I mean, good gracious, man, it's like there's so much talent here. It's just, you see all these people. You go to these writers' nights and these open mics. And, I mean, you look around and you're like, why the heck am I even here? You know, but. The stick with it is just as important as the talent. I truly believe that. I had a roommate from San Antonio that moved up here about the same time I did. And uh, I thought he was great. I mean, he had a great voice. He's a great guitar player, good songwriter. I mean, had to look, had everything. And after about a year, he got homesick and moved back home. So, you know, you never know. I thought, well, there's one guy out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> so what would you tell uh, a young Win Varble? Well, if I couldn't talk you about the going back home, no, I, 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 I see them every day. I, I work with them. Uh, I just, you know, and, and it's, it's so different now with the way music pays or the way music don't pay, I should say. Um, with the streaming and all that stuff, it's uh, 
It's tough. I, I mean, I, I look at these kids. At least when we were coming up, there was a chance to make some really good money, and, and there still is. Uh, as long as terrestrial radio's around, I mean, that's how we have to have a radio single to make any decent money. But how long is that going to be around? You know, I mean, five, ten years, maybe. I mean, who knows? I tell these kids, I just say, hey, you know, it's going to take a while. Just keep your nose down, keep your head down and plow ahead. And, and the thing about it is that even if you have a little bit of success, just keep plowing. Because if you let up, somebody else going to squeeze in there and, you know, get your spot, you know. It's very competitive, but, but the riders in Nashville generally, since I've been here, support each other greatly, you know. I mean, it's it's really cool community, really. Well, speaking of the riders, I'm hoping you can tell us about maybe the co-writer that you would say taught you the most. Wow. Well, that's a good question. You learn from everybody you come in contact with, you know what I mean? But uh, I've had some some writers that are, some co-writers that are kind of off the wall, just kind of, you know, there was a guy named Randy Hardison that was here and got killed about 18 years ago. And me and him were great friends. He was... Uh, he was a session drummer and a songwriter, great musician, and I, I started writing some songs with him, and uh, he might have been the one because not so much about writing songs, but about being in the music business. When everybody moves here, they're they take themselves pretty serious, you know, and and every, there's a lot of egos in this business, and and. Randy had no ego at all. He was he was very um he made fun of himself a lot. He he but I mean and everybody loved him and he just he just didn't take himself very seriously. I mean he knew he was he knew he was great and I guess what I'm trying to say is he taught me how to lay back a little bit and just let it happen, you know, instead of just, because this, this kind of business will consume you, you know, I mean, so we had so much fun, and we'd go in the studio and have fun, and and he taught me that music's supposed to be fun, and uh, more than anything about writing or co-writing or any of that, I guess I learned more from him than anybody. You're listening to our interview with Wynn Varble here on the Paul Leslie Hour. And just to tell you, if you're listening in out there in Radio Land, about some of the artists who've cut his songs, they'd include Brad Paisley, Garth Brooks, Leanne Womack, Kelly Pickler, Gary Allen. There'd be the late Chris Ledoux. That's just a few. Who do you think did the best job of cutting a Win Varble song? Um... Wow. Well, I've had, I've had, you know, when I, when I first heard Waiting on a Woman after Brad did it, I wasn't crazy about it because it was so different from the demo. And we'd had the demo for a year or two and I really got used to listening to it. And, uh, Brad kind of made it his own, but, uh, looking back, he had to make it his own for it to work for him. And, um, 
I think that was a great, I love the video too. You got Andy Griffith to be in the video, which was so cool for me. And, um, most of the, I tell you what, uh, this past year I had a song out by this kid, John Pardee, that me and my buddy Clint Daniels wrote. And, uh, it was called She Ain't In It. And I thought that Bart Butler just did a fantastic job on that record. I mean, it sounded like 1985 George Strait track, you know. It was so good. So, I mean, there's been a lot of them. There's been a few of them that I've been disappointed in, but not many. Well, that song, Waiting on a Woman, that Brad Paisley cut. Mm-hmm. I'm just curious. And a lot of your songs have been about men, f- male-female relationship. What inspired that song? Well, I got the idea for that song sitting in the truck waiting on my wife to get ready to go to church. <laughs> Every Sunday, I was like, golly, she act like it slipped up on her, you know. And uh, I just wrote it in my book one morning, waiting on a woman. It stayed in my book for about a year. I figured it was probably an up-tempo, fun, lighthearted song. I was going in to write with my friend Don Sampson, we had a thing started we were going to finish and uh, we uh, I got a phone call from a friend of mine down in South Florida and he uh, told me this old guy that we used to work with in the hay business that he had, he was dying and, and uh, said if I wanted to talk to him I need to call him because he, he didn't think he had very long so I called him up I asked him, I said uh Where's your wife, you know? And he said, well, I told her to go home. There wasn't nothing she could do up here. And I knew how much he loved her. And I don't know why, but when I hung the phone up, that song title came to mind. And it was like God saying, this is what, this is what you do with this title. And so I went in. I told Don, I said, hey, man, I said, I had this happened to me on the way in this morning. We totally forgot about what we were going to we were, the song we were going to finish that day, and we jumped on that, and uh, a couple hours, three hours maybe, we had it written. I went over to, uh, I was writing at Warner Warner Chapel then, and I went over to play it for one of my, my song pluggers, Chris Lacey, who had a shell as tough as a tortoise, you know, and uh, she'd heard everything that's ever been written, and it's hard to get one by her, and I was I said, hey, Chris, I said, you got a minute, listen to this song. And I sat down and fumbled my way through it, trying to read the lyric sheet, remember the melody. And and I looked up, she had big old tears rolling down her face. I thought, well, we might have something here if we got through her shell, you know. Hmm. So I called Don, I said, hey, man, let's let's book a demo session and demo, and we did. Brad, uh, Don wrote for Brad's company, and... uh, Brad put it on hold, and then George Strait put it on, wanted to put it on hold, and we decided to hold it for Brad, just because he seemed to really, really genuinely love it. And he had, I mean, the first time he heard it, he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get Andy Griffith to be in the video. So he, he had a vision for that song the whole time. <laughs> wow. That's something. It seems like I've heard a lot of people say that uh, the male equivalent of a woman saying that she's almost ready is a man saying he'll be home in about 15 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. 
That's right. And my buddy's got a sign hanging up on his porch that says, if a man says he'll get around to it, he'll get around to it. You don't have to remind him every six months. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think the secret to women and men getting along is? Paul, if I knew that, I wouldn't have to write songs. I'd write a book. Well, <laughs> uh. I mean, I you know, I think um, I think respect is very important. I think, uh, I mean, sometimes it just takes time. You know, me and my wife, we we've been married a little over twenty years, and we've been just uh, we've had our share of fights and um i think it's just kind of like learning somebody learning what buttons not to push and, and uh having true respect for somebody you know i think you got to have love first i mean because my wife my wife uh i don't know if i could I don't know if I'd ever find another as good as she is, but uh, I sure don't want to try. And because um, it took me a long time to find her, so um, I used to think I—I uh, I used to tell her I wouldn't take nothing for her, but I wouldn't give her—I wouldn't give a dollar for ten more like her. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> you know, I was listening to another song that you wrote on the Triple Live the the upcoming live Garth Brooks album. And I thought it was a really good version, the live version of Mom. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't know that was on there. I'm glad to hear that. It came off really good. Yeah. Well, that was another thing me and Don Sampson wrote. We wrote that out in my cabin, out at my farm. And uh, I don't even remember. Uh, it seems like... Don had heard a story or something, and I forget. I think we sat there about a half a day trying to figure out what we were going to write, and uh, finally he was telling me about this story, some kind of thing, and and I said, "Well, let's uh, let's let's fiddle around with that." And uh, I'd written a couple of songs about my dad, and uh, I never had about my mom, and I just I just thought that uh, that would be a a great thing to do. We wrote the song and it sat there for about seven years and nobody even heard it. Nobody pitched it. One morning I was at the kitchen table. Garth had already cut a couple songs of mine on that record, on that record back, I guess it was 15. And uh, my wife said, send it. She said, send him mom. He'll love mom. And I said, what? I hadn't even thought of that song in six years. She just kept on saying it, Cindy mom. And I was trying to find some, I don't know what I was looking for, but so I finally told her, I said, if you'll hush, I'll send it to him. So I sent it to him and a couple hours later, he called me up. I'd, I'd already gotten to Nashville that day and he called me just freaking out over that song, which was great, you know, but it was better sweet because then I had to call my wife and tell her she was right again. <laughs> and, uh, but I was I was proud to do it, and you know that song did pretty good for him too. And I I just think that you know sometimes those songs, sometimes the great ones, you know, you don't write, you just kind of hold the pen, you know. And uh, that's kind of 
sometimes I think like waiting on a woman. Uh, I think back, you know, like, have you forgotten when me and Daryl Worley wrote that that morning? It was just kind of, you know, you don't know if you have something great. You just kind of, you like it. Uh, I don't know if there's any different. Sometimes there's a different feeling. But, uh, I mean, I, I write songs every day, so it's hard for me to tell if I got something great or it's just another, you know, demo to line the shelf over there at the publishing company. So, Well, who would you like to have cut a Win Varble song that hasn't yet? Dang George Strait. My gosh, I've, I've had four songs on hold for every project he's ever done. And uh, uh, she ain't in it. Me and Clint wrote that for straight. He went to Key West. They told us he went down there and cut a track on it. And he didn't like the way he sung it, so I didn't make the record. And I'm like, Dad, what do I got to (laughs) do? But, you know, uh, I mean, George is kind of not on the radio anymore much as far as his new stuff. But I would still love to have a George Strait cut because I just, I love his record. You did not hesitate at all when I asked you that question. <laughs> no, I didn't have to think about that. What's the best thing about doing what you do? Oh, where do you start? It, the best thing about doing what I do is it's my it was my dream, you know, and uh, I got to do it. I mean, I get to go out and play and do gigs. And when I was a kid, you know, when I started loving music and even thinking about doing anything like this, my my heroes were guys like Jerry Jeff Walker. And as far as, you know, like artists that weren't big artists, you know, and just kind of they got to do their thing. They They weren't like super famous, but they could go make a living playing songs and music and I just thought it was really cool. I always thought, boy, it'd be good to be able to go play for a living. But anyway, you know, I just thought it'd be really cool to uh, be able to go out and play, you know, shows and and, and do that, you know, and, and, and still be able to go to the grocery store and without people bugging you, you know, I mean. I get to hang around. Another thing is I get to hang around talented, super, super talented people all the time who are usually really good folks and good old boys and girls, you know, and that love country music as much as I do. It's, I mean, what's there not to like, really? I mean, sometimes the business end can be work. The days when you're sitting there and nothing's happening and you're, you're in there with some, you know, 20-year-old kid, and you're thinking, what am I going to write with this kid? You know, he's never done anything. But then you find some common ground, and it works itself out usually, and it's just uh, it's just a, it's just a great job, I think. Hmm. Well, as we wrap up here, I always like to give whoever the guest is the stage. Just let them say whatever they want. Just... Just take the microphone for anyone who's listening in. What would you say to them? Um, I would say I thank God every morning I get to get up and go write songs for a living. I would say uh, thank y'all for buying the records of the songs that I wrote 
and uh, or had anything to do with writing, because that has afforded me the uh, the greatest way I can think of to to make a living, and uh, I'm just I'm just very blessed. That's what I'd say. My last question. All right. Who is Win Verbal? Golly, I don't know. He keeps changing. <laughs> he keeps changing on me. No, I'm I'm just a pretty good old simple guy. I, I, my, I, when I'm not on the road or in Nashville writing songs, I'm on my farm down in Hampshire, Tennessee, and I'm bush hogging or you know taking care of my cows or my horses and just. I just, I really like simple living, and that's that's pretty much me. I love music. Um, I don't care much about, you know, you know, when you first get in the, in the music business, you, you know, you're all about the award shows and the bright lights and, the, you know, all that, you know, but if you stay in it a little bit, you're kind of like, ah, I've seen enough of that. Just, <laughs> just get me back to the house and. Let me pop me a cold beer and get on my track. <laughs> well, anyone out there, if you want to visit the website, it's winvarble.com, W-Y-N-N-V-A-R-B-L-E. And Mr. Varble, thank you very much for spending time with us. Thank you, Paul. Appreciate it. All right, sir. Until right. next time. The Paul Leslie Hour is hosted, produced, and written by Paul Leslie for Lifestyles Entertainment and Media. The Paul Leslie theme song composed, recorded, and produced by Jeff Pike. Outro music composed, recorded, and produced by John Goodwin, originally appearing in the short film Malukas and Vulnerable Jelly Things. Please consider subscribing to the Paul Leslie Hour, and if you like us, give us a review. It'll help other people to find this content. All past interviews are also available on YouTube. For more information, you can visit thepaulleslie.com and be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at ThePaulLeslie. Thanks for listening. Be good. <laughs>